0: Hey family. I want God to help you. I want God to help you with whatever's going on and whatever challenges you're facing. I want Him to hear and and to act. So I'm going to start by blessing. I'm going to bless you now. I bless you in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully. I bless you that you would receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive the guidance from God that you need or the help from God that you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail in whatever challenges you're going through in your life right now. And I bless you, again, whatever's going on, to feel hope, to feel joy, to feel love, to feel peace. I bless you with that. In the name of Jesus, may it be. Amen. All right, family, welcome back to our study on Moses. I got a Uh, picture here, a map-ish, picture-ish screenshot from Google Earth-ish thing, Uh, it is Google Earth map, we are studying Moses, and specifically we're looking at his time at Mount Sinai, previously we have seen them exit from Egypt last autumn, and then, not this last autumn, we talked about it last autumn, and then they went through the Red Sea, and we have found ourselves at Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, in the ancient land of Midian, where the Bible places it, we know we're in the right place because as we've seen over the last many weeks, the archaeology is indisputable and we've seen all kinds of pictures of, of, of things that have taken place here at Mount Sinai. Today, we come to this awful moment, like a terrible, terrible moment, it, unbelievable when it comes, it comes to this moment where the nation makes a golden cow and starts worshiping it, you know, like. Oh, mighty cow, thank you. You know, that it, it's, it's this awful moment. And, and they have, just so we remember, they have seen Yahweh, God of the Bible, at least manifest hidden in this fire on top of the mountain. This billowing smoke, thunder, lightning, earthquakes. They have heard him declare in chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. You will have no other gods besides me. You will not make an idol for you. Like, they've heard this, and yet here they are within these short period of time making a golden idol. It's unbelievable. Anyways, last week we talked about how the elders of Israel and Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, his oldest two sons, Aaron's oldest two sons, they had a meal with God up on the mountain on this plateau, and they saw God. Okay, that's That was the previous story to that. Since then, that was chapter 24. Since then, Moses has been up on the mountain receiving directions about how to build a tabernacle and things like that, all within a 40-day period. But the last story we talked about last week is, is the context for the, going into this golden calf story. And so I want to re- read the very last couple verses or near the end of the last couple of verses of chapter 24 in Exodus, because this is the context for the story we're going to talk about today. At the end of chapter 24, while they're feasting and eating and drinking with God, with God, whom they can see, it says this in verse 16, The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, He, God, Called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites. This is what they can see from from this valley here. Was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The visual context for the golden calf story is a burning mountaintop. Right? It's right there. Now... Uh, oh. I'm so frustrated by this story, guys. It's incredible. Uh, but let me, let me read so that I can get more irritated at <laughs> what happens here. Again, there's that fire. There's the smoke. There is, they, the elders have just had a meal with God. Moses goes up there, verse, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron replied to them, no, that's not what he said. Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, Aaron did, fashioned it with an engraving tool, in case you don't know how this exactly happened, he used an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it. And made an announcement, there will be a festival to Yahweh tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. That's nice. Unbelievable, right? Just unbelievable. Consuming fire on the mountaintop, visible to all. They had just had a meal with God within the last 40 days. Aaron was there. Crazy. We know where this worship site was. It's, it's very, very clear. We know exactly where it was. Here's some, here's some, uh, here's a first picture of, of the area that we've been looking at. Moses is at the top. So I've made sure you know where he is. At the top. Red arrow to the top. So he's up there with Joshua. The previous one, the, the previous, they had a meal with God at the blue circle that blue circle area, the plateau there. We talked about that last week. Um, we saw pictures of Elijah's cave several weeks ago, the purple circle up there. We saw pictures of the worship area with the, the altar and the twelve peria at the base of the mountain. Also many weeks ago, we saw pictures of the boundary markers, which, which are there where those red lines are, and they, they probably went a lot further than that, but we know that they were there because we can see them and they're still painted on with warning signs. Uh, at least on the side that hasn't been exposed to rain, with this red—that's that's there in that area. I also made a little bit more visible, um, just the blue area, the, the the stream coming down the the mountain and where the water was settling at this time. You can see it on Google Earth, but I just made it a little bit more blue so that we can make sure we know where it is. And I just highlight that because, flash forward, Moses isn't going to love this moment. He's going to grind this golden calf into powder, again, giving the story away, way ahead of time. And he's going to put it in the water and make them drink it. There, that's, that's where the water is. The green circle is the golden calf worship site. Okay, that's, that's where this, gold, notice it's not in the, In the normal worship area that's already been built, this is a different area, and it's slightly across the valley. It's where, you know, when Moses is coming down, he can see where it's at. Here is um, some pictures of that site. Now, the top one, again, you can see the fence. All these areas are fenced off, but this one's very easy to see because the fence is just right up against the area. So it's not hard to to see this area. So they, they stuck the cow, calf, on top of the stone platform right? So everyone can see it. And th- they got it up there to, to worship the, the mighty cow. And, and so they have it up on that, that platform there. And then on the left of that top picture, they got it on the platform. Left of that top picture, there's kind of a, a, an intentional looking rock pile to the left. That corresponds to the bottom picture, the, that rock pile in the background. You, you can see the connection there between those two rock piles, so you're getting perspective. And what you have in the foreground of that bottom picture is the altar site. Now we've looked at what some altar, rock altar sites look like, sacrifice altar sites look like. Um, so you have that there, just kind of as the Bible describes. You've got the, the place, the, the, the pedestal where the um, cow is, and then you've got that worship area below. I added this picture just, I didn't, I didn't talk about this at Southside just for time, but this next picture here is a picture of the top of this area. And the thought has been that the, that little round bit in the middle was where the cow was up on this spot. Now, I show you this just so you get a sense of the area. It's like it's flat out here in front. Very easy for a bunch of people to worship. I like kind of the, the perspective of seeing kind of this area where the, where the people are staying. But the cow there, and then, you know, the theory is it was ground into powder here in that site. And one guy, Wyatt... Ron Wyatt said that it rained once when he was here and you can see gold flecks. I don't trust Wyatt. Like, he, he says weird things. I, I don't know if he's that reliable. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's the thought, that it, it was placed right here on this, this stone and that with that area there in the background. Um, why do we think that this is the golden calf worship site? Not only because it's this raised area perfect for the event to take place, as the Bible describes. It's covered with bovine worship petroglyphs. Here is some, uh, some of the carving. It's everywhere on this site only. There, it is only on this site, at, at this rock pile area. And, and this is so unique, these Egyptian cows being worshipped. There's only two other places in, on the planet this kind of stuff has ever been found. One, I think it's like Crete or something like that. Secondly, in the area from, uh, e- from Egypt where God's people had just come from in the last year. And then on this rock pile, where they're worshiping this um, this this bovine. Now I I I, I show like I circled that bottom one. You've got a worshipper there, worshiping the cow in the bottom right picture. If you look at the top right picture, you can see at the very right you can see cow, cow worshipper. Can you kind of see can I see that up, up there? It's, it's covered with these these um, carvings. Uh, all over Egyptian style cows. Why do they have Egyptian style cows? Well, probably because they got their cows from Egypt. You know, that's, that's why we're out here. Uh, so you've got this worship area of, of cow. Now there's there's a lot a lot of pictures of this site. Um, wh- these are carvings. There's also one area close by that's not carvings, but it's painting, and it's the same red paint that was used for the boundary markers, and it shows some scenes, it seems like it was done after this, it shows scenes of them shooting worshipers, uh, naked worshipers actually, Sh- shooting naked worshipers uh, out there and, and, and killing naked worshipers uh, along with this kind of worship of the calf sort of thing. I wish I had a picture of that. But yeah, so this, this worship site, it's, it's all there, it's all there just behind that fence as you, you saw. So that's where it's taking place. That's the setting. What happens? I got to keep reading, guys. It's just an irritating chapter. Verse seven. So again, Moses consuming fire, fire uh, uh, up in the mountain with with God. Uh, uh, just okay. The Lord spoke to Moses. Verse seven. Go down at once for your people. For your people, you brought up from the land of Egypt. He's blaming Moses. Go down at once, for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen these people, and they are indeed stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God, Yahweh, Lord. Why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them. You promised, that. you swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all of this land that I have promised. And they will inherit it forever. So, the Lord relented. Yahweh relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back, which is the same thing. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, it's not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. Must have been awful singing if they didn't know what it was. And he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, burned it up, and ground it to powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. Then Moses asked Aaron, what did these people do to you? that you have led them into such a grave sin. Don't be enraged, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. They said to me, make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. When I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. Moses said, you idiot. No. Moses saw that the people were out of control. For Aaron had let them get out of control, making them a laughing stock to their enemies. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, whoever is for Yahweh, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all The Levites gathered around him. He told them, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Every man, fasten his sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from the entrance to entrance, and each of you kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Afterward, Moses said, today you have been dedicated to the Lord, since each man went against his son and his brother. Therefore, you have brought a blessing on yourselves today. The following day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now if you would only forgive their sin. But if not, please erase me from the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, "Whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you. But on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin." And the Lord inflicted a plague on the people for what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Who made it? Aaron. Aaron had made it. Ah, oh, such a shocking story, right? Such a sh- especially. You know in chapter 20, they've heard God on the mountain declare no other gods, not, make, not making any idols. And, and all. Okay, it's awful. There's so much I want to say in this chapter. Uh, I could preach three, uh, actually I was thinking four, a fourth message, I could preach in this chapter alone, but I don't have time for that right now. So what I need to do today is I need to give you three starter messages. I'm going to give you three starter lessons, and I'm going to just trust that one of these three lessons is for you to pursue further. One of these thoughts I want you to kind of carry with you and see like which one of these thoughts from this chapter is something I need to chew more on this week and maybe in this passage or maybe think more about one of these three thoughts. Which one is for you? The first lesson that might be for you is a warning about delay. A warning about our propensity to give up on following God when things aren't happening fast enough in our opinion. There's a strong warning about that here in the story because in verse 1 it started with the words when the people saw that Moses delayed. That's that's the whole context. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain. He was up there for more than a month, okay? For, 40 days and, and 40 nights. And, the, and they're looking up there at that consuming fire and smoke saying, we don't really know what happened to, to Moses, Moses anymore. It's amazing how you can be so terrified of God's manifest presence and then start taking it for granted. Even, even this, it's, it's incredible. And so they gathered around Aaron and they, they asked him to make gods for them. Again, they have the Ten Commandments, but, but, but because of delay... Because of delay, they give up on waiting. Because of delay, they give up on obedience. They, they give up on doing what God has said that they are to do. They, they know what he was said, they, but they give up on that because of, because of the delay. Now, I see this everywhere in, in Christianity. People, we, we, you know, giving up on waiting for God. Giving up on waiting because we feel like things just aren't happening fast enough. And so we need to take matters into our own hands. Waiting for God, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. It didn't, nothing happened fast enough. I, it was worthless, and so I waited for God, but because it didn't, ha- and it, nothing happened there, so now I'm going to not worry about God anymore. Because I waited that time, and, and it didn't work fast enough, so I give up. I mean, <laughs> There's so many examples there are a thousand examples uh, one of the things that I I've, I've heard in Glasgow out there with Christians out there is there are some believers even though 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and other passages in the Bible t- makes it clear that believers are only supposed to marry believers and believers are not supposed to marry unbelievers th- there are some out there who give up waiting for God in that area like I gave God a chance I am now 19 years old, 19, or, or whatever, and they're like, ah, I tried that waiting thing, and now I am going to reject the direction of God, and I'm going to do what is different than what the New Testament directs me to do, and I'm going to consider that advice, not direction, and, or whatever, I mean, I'm going to go my own way. Because I waited and it didn't work. Or, or there's other things, you know, work pressures or, or life pressures or studies pressures. And you're feeling the pressures of, of life and you, you you, pray and you ask for God's help. But then it doesn't quite come through fast enough. And so then you're like, i got to take matters in my own hands. And I'm going to start compromising. And I'm going to start shading this or cheating here or car- carving out my integrity here. Or kind of just stop seeking God. I'm going to stop praying and asking for God's help because I used to do that and it didn't help me. And so now I'm going to just do my own thing. I'm going to not worry about I'd like God's help if it happens, but it probably won't. And i kind of go on my own way. How many compromises do we make because we feel like we can't wait any longer for God to help? Or we feel like it's not worth waiting for God any longer? Or we, we tried that in the past. Be warned of the great temptation to stop waiting. For God and to turn away from godliness and obedience because things aren't happening at the pace that you would really, 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 really want them to. Okay, that's that's lesson one. Maybe that's a lesson for some of you today. It's probably not a lesson for all of you today. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's something for you to take further and chew on in the week ahead. The second starter lesson, uh, when it comes to this, has to do with encouragement about the power of intercessory prayer. Now, some of you uh, are aware, probably all of you are aware, is that COP26 is happening, and that never in the history of Glasgow in the last 1,500 years has there ever been such an intense moment of prayerful intercession in our city. People are coming from around the planet to pray and to intercede and ask God for peace and help and unity and and, and to intervene in this strategic global moment of decision making when it comes to the course of our future as a planet. So there's a lot of intercession. Some of you are going to be a part of that. Now, if, if that's you and inter, intercession is going to be a part of a part of your, your journey here, uh, I want you to be extremely effective as effective as possible in asking God to intervene in this moment and there are things here worth pondering when it comes to Moses's intercession for his people but it all hinges around what Moses prays all hinges around him answering the question in his prayers what why should God answer his prayers for something good to happen and not something bad to happen why should God answer prayers? If you go through these next two weeks and you're going to be a praying and intercessor and, you, and that question sticks in your mind is how you pray for, for this moment, God, you should answer these prayers because, because, you, because you created this. Have compassion on your creation because, because people, the work of your hands and, and your creation, like for, for these good reasons, have these reasons why God should answer your prayers. For Moses, he's making an appeal for mercy. And so, what are his reasons of why God should answer his prayers? Well, he prays, he appeals to God to protect his own reputation. That's a powerful appeal. Uh, the Egyptians are going to think you're weak. Not only that, they're going to think you're evil. That you, you intended to murder people, bring, murder them all by bringing them out here. You're weak, you couldn't bring, you know, whatever, they, your reputation. Uh, that's one of his appeals. He also appeals God to remember his promises. You promised Abraham, you swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Israel, to, that, y- that you were going to bring their descendants into this land. Like, remember your promises. And, and then thirdly, he just appeals to God to forgive. He identifies himself as part of the people. You know, if you're going to destroy them, destroy me as well. That sort of thing. Like, but please forgive. Please forgive. As you're, if you're praying for, for our, our planet, um, good news, you're part of it. <laughs> okay, God, forgive our nation. Forgive our world. Forgive, forgive, forgive. And, and uh, here I am as a part of these people appealing to you for, for help. There are powerful, uh, powerful ways to intercede for God to act. It's, it's, this, this chapter can help us think, okay, I need to move beyond just asking for God to intervene and start thinking, Why should God answer these prayers? And when we can answer that, it is extra effective at seeing God bring breakthrough. So if if that's part of your story for the next couple weeks, maybe that's uh, a lesson to keep pondering. Maybe explore, dive deep into this passage and other passages when it comes to prayer. Uh, Starter lesson number two. So some of you warning about delay and and shortcutting. When God's not acting quick enough, for some of you, maybe an encouragement about praying more effectively, especially at this most strategic time here. But there's a third lesson, and maybe this is for, for some of you. There is a, there's a revelation of the surprising grace of God. I cannot get past the grace of God at this moment, and it revolves around one name, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron, right? I mean, Aaron. I am stunned at how much grace Aaron gets in this story. I mean, remember, in, in in he was a part of the all the plagues of Egypt. He was there with Moses, and what was his role? What was Moses' role? Well, he's speaking to Pharaoh, and he's there, and all these plagues are happening, going through the Red Sea. He goes up on top of the mountain into the fire, into the lightning, into the smoke furnace billowing thing, earthquake, uh, lightning thunder, whatever all, all that stuff he goes up on the mountain in chapter 20 with Moses and he's up there in that. He has a meal with God within the last 40 days where he saw God because they all saw God he, he has within the last 40 days he has all of this all of this um, revelation of God he knows the Ten Commandments he heard the Ten Commandments he was up up there for that and yet, after only just a few days, within less than 40, he tells the people to bring him some gold. He, he, he fashions an idol himself with his own hands, an engraving tool. He makes it. The Bible is really clear there. He made the, not only that, he built an altar in front of the golden calf area for the worshiping of this. He calls a festival to, to celebrate. He he. He offers burnt offerings. He oversaw this worship party that was a little bit out of control. According to the paintings, they were naked and worshiping and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, you know that's bad. Then Aaron lies to Moses' face about how he got this cow. I put the gold into the fire, and then how came this cow. So it's, it's just obviously it's our God. So all that context with the fire, consuming fire on the mountaintop and, and just like, uh, all that's happening. And I'm sitting here thinking, what is going to happen to Aaron? What, he's toast, right? If you're reading through the Bible for the first time and you don't know what's going to happen, you're like, Aaron, this is game over, right? This is like, this is the end for, for Aaron by far. What happens? He becomes the high priest of Yahweh. The High Priest and all of his descendants forever, become the priestly family. You, you heard the chapter. Was there any Aaron reprimand here in any of this moment? I mean, does this stun you? Does this stun you that after all Aaron had had experienced with God, he ends up carving an idol that the nation starts, the nation starts worshipping. And then he becomes the high priest of Yahweh? I marvel at the grace of God shown to a very undeserving Aaron. i tell you what. This is Old Testament. And if God can take this Aaron who led the whole nation in idol worship, knowing what God is like and how spectacular he is, If God can give this Aaron such surprising grace, such an extraordinary second chance, and such an amazing God worshiping future, how much more you? Because of Jesus. Because because of the Jesus, because we have been purchased by Jesus, we can have a new beginning. There is extraordinary grace, much more than this for you, much more uh, of forgiveness for you. Just because your past seemed awful and you made some mistakes, I'm telling you what, there is no past mistakes that doesn't mean you cannot have an extraordinarily God-worshipping, godly future. As you turn to Him and have a second chance... uh, a thousand and second chance. If it's true for Aaron, how much more true for you in Jesus? Maybe you've given up waiting for God and you've you've turned your own way. You've turned away from God. You can turn back and follow Jesus and have a godly future. No matter how badly you've messed up, there's a second chance again for you you need to do that? Do you need to return to Jesus? Is that the lesson for you to be reminded of the surprising grace available because of Jesus for you and for your life a new beginning for you? The challenge today is which of these 3 lessons is your starter lesson for your thinking this week. Is it warning about Delaying and not turning away from God and delay. Is it about prayer and being more effective in intercessory prayer at this most strategic time? Is it uh, marveling at the surprising grace of God and responding and returning to Jesus and returning to his ways? I want to I pray for us and, and if that third lesson specifically is for you, I want to I walk you through what it is to have a new beginning with Jesus. I encourage you all to go ahead and close your eyes. And, and if you need that surprising grace of Jesus today, if you need a second chance, a new beginning with God, I suggest praying something like this. God, forgive me. I have turned away from you, or I've, I've not been following you, and now today, I dedicate or I rededicate my life to following you again, to obeying you again. I, I commit my life to Jesus, to following Jesus. Forgive me because of Jesus. Fill me with your spirit because of Jesus. Lead me forward because of Jesus. Give me grace and a new beginning in Jesus' name. Father, I just pray for all of us that you would hear our prayers on behalf of our globe, our our world in these weeks. I pray for your your intervention uh, with our world leaders meeting in this very city. I pray that this would be a city of peace where you help, help intervene. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.